0: This podcast is supported by SprintGP, an online racing environment that allows users to build unique teams across multiple series. SprintGP offers a supportive community that rewards strategy and skill. Become a team owner and build your legacy today. To learn more, head on over to SprintGP.com, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and join the community on Discord. hey everyone welcome back to racing to win brought to you by apex 146 i'm your host julia robinson hello everyone welcome back my name's julia and luckily today we got connor walk back here with us connor
1: hey Hey julia thanks for having me
0: thanks for joining how have you been
1: doing well. I'm sorry I missed you last week.
0: <laughs> we missed you, but we we did cover some good material on who really excelled in Austria, but we're going to be looking forwards this week as athletes, teams, the whole paddock heads to Misano for the San Marino Grand
1: Prix. That's so casually, but loading up four 747 jets with 360 tons of motorcycle equipment doesn't sound like just cruising over to San Marino.
0: Yeah, I guess I definitely glossed over that a little bit with the logistics of hopping between all these races, especially going forward, because we're definitely going to be jumping around quite a bit. But, I mean, think about Formula One. they got to move all those cars. Seems like, to me, a logistical nightmare. But they make it work, back-to-back weekends all around the world.
1: Well, at least unlike last year, Dorna only needs to coordinate one trip to San Marino.
0: That's right. Last year, they went to San Marino, ventured off for a weekend, I believe, to Aragon, and then back to San Marino. Um, And in 2020, we actually saw back-to-back races here as well due to the pandemic when they were hunkering down at circuits. So this year, we're only going to be getting one round in Misano, but it is definitely going to be exciting. The Austrian race was very telling as we head into these really crucial rounds of the season as the world championship title is well underway. Quatraro Bagnaia, and Alicia Spargro all still in the running with Bagnaia slowly climbing his way back up. And we're actually about to head into some of his favorite circuits and some where Quatraros had success, but definitely also had some little more difficulties. Um, historically speaking, though, the Masano Circuit has been very good to Yamaha Um, We've seen a couple years where they've like locked out the front row where we have seen them very competitive for like top five so high hopes, but I guess we can start by just digging into some historical averages.
1: What does the grid look like? historically
0: Historically speaking. So this is looking at averages over the past few years take into account newer riders have a little bit less data so it does have a stronger weight um, so if you hear some younger riders in these top averages just keep that in mind but historically speaking let's just start from first all the way down to 10th peko Bagnaya, jack miller Polo Spargro, mark marquez who has just been declared fit to um, enhance his training so hopefully we're going to be seeing him out doing some testing soon um, fifth we're looking at marini Quatrararo, morbidelli zarco Martine and Vinales. So definitely a wide range in manufacturers, um, but we're seeing this really competitive younger group that is on the rise. Um, So definitely a handful of Ducati riders, but a lot of Yamaha too. So it's gonna be interesting because those two manufacturers have been very dominant this year. Unfortunately, we really haven't seen Honda or KTM or Suzuki necessarily prevail, but We do have two Aprilia riders in the top 11 for historical grid. Now, Maverick Vinales, his historical data is all on Yamaha, and he used to do very well here on Yamaha. He's not coming off the strongest race of the season, where the two prior races he was back-to-back podiums, but this could be a really good turning point for him, as well as Leish who needs to step it up if he wants to stay in contention for the world championship title.
1: I love hearing all those younger names on the top 10 of the historical grid. What about the final positions?
0: Yeah, so looking from final, there's um, definitely a handful of repeats from the historical grid. But Mark Marquez actually has the strongest final position here. Remember, he has a whole lot of data. So in comparison to the first historical average which is mark second is bastianini he does not have as much data here but he did get his first MotoGP podium in Masano. so he's definitely a contender he also just got signed for the factory seat he is going to be replacing jack miller so needless to say bastianini is going to be coming in riding a high so rounding out the top final historical averages we have Paul Spargro in third, Quattro Aleish, Vinales, Zarco, and Bagnaya for the top eight. So again, a very mixed group in regards to manufacturer, but we are really going to be looking at the Ducati riders because looking back at the last race, they were quite dominant, but this could also be another turning point for Yamaha and Aprilia going into these really crucial rounds as the championship is closing in. So, I think before we get into any more indexes, we should just take a glance back at what really happened these last few years at Masano, because there were some really important races. So, 2021, we did have back-to-back events here. Now, the first race was an amazing race. This is where Anea Bastianini did get his first MotoGP podium. He placed third. Um, but this was also a really important last lap battle with Bagnaya and Cotraro. Bagnaya did finish ahead. They both really gave it their all. I think Quatraro was very content with getting second at that point, but this was a really crucial point in the championship as it is going to be this year. So if we do look at who finished in the top five for the first round in 2021, we have Bagnaya in first, Quattraro in second, Bastianini in third, that first MotoGP podium, and then Marc Marquez and Jack Miller. Now four out of these five riders i just mentioned have been very competitive especially the last few races bagnaya this is really crucial points for him as he is trying to close that gap on the contrary quattro really needs as much as an advantage as he can get here in order to start pulling away a little bit because he has a comfortable gap but it could all change in the matter of like two or three races um, and then Bastianini and miller now a little funny just because Bastianini is replacing miller But you also can't count out Jorge Martin. He is secured for the Satellite Ducati team. And, you know, again, he's not just going to back off with battling with his other Ducati teammates just because he did not get that factory seat. So definitely going to be looking at the Ducati riders. Of course, Fabio Quattroaro, but also definitely the Aprilia riders. Vinales has had historical success here when he was with Yamaha. Um, and then Aleisha Spargro, this and, I mean, Argonne for sure, we have seen him competitive here. Now, the bike is still performing well. Alish did come off of a little bit of an injury going into Austria, but, you know, they got to buckle down now if they want to keep um, keep fighting for a world championship title, which would be absolutely incredible in the past three years to have Suzuki get a world championship title. And then Aprilia, I don't know if it's in the cards for Aleish. She has not had the most consistent performance race to race, but you can't count anybody out because we're only at, what is it? Round 14 of the season. Now that was the first round in 2021. Let's look at the second round in 2021 because that is where Quattraro won the world championship. He did not win the race, but he did score enough points to pull ahead and secure himself ahead of Bagnaya. Now, looking at the second round, we saw Marc Marquez in first, Polo Spargro in second, Bastianini in third, Fabio Quattraro in fourth, and Zarco in fifth.
1: Wait, so Bastianini got two podiums last year here?
0: Yeah, he got two third places here, which is, it was huge because the first one was his first MotoGP podium. So we're definitely going to be keeping an eye on him. He unfortunately did have that mechanical issue at the last race. He was performing really well. So hopefully we'll be able to see him come back as strong as we did in Austria, and hopefully that bike does stay together. So... Last year, Quattraro's world championship winning race, it was Rossi's last Italian race. And Quattraro actually did not have like the best race of his life, but it was really impressive because he ended up falling back so far and climbed his way back up to fourth. So we've seen that he can be strategic even when he does not have the best start off the grid. But overall, Yamaha has been very strong here. So thinking about Morbidelli back in the heyday, specifically 2020 round one, we saw Morbidelli bring home first place with Bagnaia, Mir, Rossi, Rins, and Vinales behind him. So obviously two Suzuki riders in that top five, three Yamaha riders in the top six. Um, Looking at 2020, the qualifying We had Vinales, Morbidelli, Quattro, Rossi, Miller. So a top four Yamaha with then two Ducatis behind them. So times have changed, bikes have changed, athletes have switched teams, we've seen retirements. This is definitely going to be a little bit of a different year, I would say, in Misano because we also don't have the in-season form that we usually do of the Suzuki riders. Now I know we talked about Mir going into Austria and unfortunately we did see that awful high side for him Um, he's not actually going to be participating this weekend but there is Rins he had a pretty solid race in Austria but really slightly I would say underwhelming performance from Suzuki overall since we've heard that they will not be continuing on in the MotoGP
1: series but on that note it looks like Mir has a two-year contract with HRC
0: breaking news the moment we've all been waiting for because (laughs) it was a little bit silent of where mir was headed but yes it is official both mir and rins are going to be switching from suzuki moving to honda mir is going to be riding on the hrc repsol team with mark marquez and then alex rins is going to be on the satellite team without a teammate confirmed yet so lcr just alex rins riding by himself right now but Really big news, really exciting. I mean, it was a really sad thought that Mir might not get a seat considering he is a world champion. They obviously have not been having the seasons that we expected from them, but it's gonna be really interesting to see that transition from Suzuki to Honda. I mean, they aren't necessarily the most similar bikes. I think it would have been really cool to see one of the Suzuki riders go to the satellite Aprilia team. But again, Honda's been struggling. We did see Alex Marquez have a really strong race in Austria two weeks ago. But overall, the manufacturer has really been seeing the most success with Marc Marquez, who we haven't seen on the circuit for a while. So it's going to be interesting when we see the testing after the last round in 2022 and see how Alex and Juan Mir really adapt to this bike and hopefully Marc Marquez gets back on there soon and can really help steer the team to uh, a more well-rounded success, if you will.
1: So based off of everything that you've gone over the last 15 minutes, it sounds like the top riders to watch this weekend would be Bagnaya, Miller, Bastianini, Quattroaro, Aleish, Vinales, and maybe Martín.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good summary. Obviously, these are some of the most competitive riders that we've seen, but going into other races, we definitely threw out some KTM riders, Suzuki riders, but I think it's gonna be a lot of light on Ducati. Unfortunately, probably not that many Yamaha riders besides Quattro but then also the Aprilia riders, because this circuit, I really think, suits both their riding styles, but also the bike's ability. Um, yeah, I mean, and I would throw Martine in there. He, he, until his crash where he tried to overtake Miller, he was riding very well. And I mean, him and Bastionini were fighting tooth and nail. Since then, obviously, they've both been confirmed for different teams. But yeah, Connor, I mean, I think you nailed it. It's definitely going to be telling for the world championship, uh, running as well between Bagnaia and Quattroaro with Alacia Spargo in there as well. So it should be a fun weekend.
1: For sure.
0: So, another big thing that's going to be happening this weekend is, unfortunately, the retirement of one of my personal favorite MotoGP riders of all time, Andrea Dovizioso.
1: You're going to be so sad watching races <laughs> going forward.
0: I am. I really missed him when we uh, when he wasn't on the track for a little bit. Excited to see him come back. And, you know, unfortunately, just did not have the comeback I think he was hoping for. Similar to that of Rossi, I guess.
1: Yeah, definitely. They he's got a really impressive roster as well.
0: Yeah, he does. Let's let's just give a little brief overview of Davincioso's career as he goes into his last race. It's also his last home race, so it's very fitting for him to be announcing his retirement that it's going to be um, at the Masano World Circuit. So let's just give a little bit of a brief overview of Andrea Davincioso and his MotoGP career.
1: Yeah, he's got 15 race wins under his belt, 21 second place finishes, 26 third place finishes and 11 race fastest lap records.
0: A lot of big stats he joined MotoGP in 2008 over the course of that so it's just summing up all of the stats Connor just gave that's 62 MotoGP podiums. Uh, within there we also have seven MotoGP pole positions so you know the the balance there is not necessarily quite even. we did see him on the front row quite a bit, but seven pole positions, 62 podiums, he was always a rider that could strategically climb through the pack and really effectively pass and block others. Definitely not the um, most daring rider, I would say. He was one that would overanalyze situations here or there, but when he set out to do something such as pass the rider, climb his way through the pack, He nailed it.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. He's pretty graceful, especially with the wide variety of bikes that he's been on over the years. Didn't he start on Honda in 2008?
0: Yes. So he was on Honda 2008 through 2011, briefly saw him on Yamaha in 2012, which is really bringing us full circle. And then the glory days, Ducati 2013 through 2020. Now, some of these years were his best in regards to championship finishes, He did finish second in the World Championship in 2017, 18, and 19, all behind Marc Marquez. Now, 2019, he had the most points that he finished with. That was 269 points. So that shows quite a bit of success throughout the season, but I remember those grueling years where time after time he was so close to contending for the World Championship title and just was never able to surpass Marquez. But nonetheless, he's had an amazing career. We all definitely miss him in the paddock, on the circuit. My personal favorite memory of Da Vincioso, which is not even a race that he won, but it was 2019 in Mugello with Petrucci and Marquez. And those three were literally just dancing around each other. And that was Petrucci's first MotoGP podium, or sorry, MotoGP win Marquez got second, Davincioso got third, but the level of racing and competitiveness but also respect that we saw between those three riders at that race was unforgettable. So I really think that sums up Da He's not somebody that's going to be throwing elbows. He's respectful, he's fast, he's strategic, and I used to do quite a bit of writing um, around analysis on these races, and I'll never forget, like, I opened one article and it was fluidity, adaptability, Andrea De Vincioso. He was always one that could adapt to his surroundings, whether it was a new circuit, tricky weather conditions, and clearly I'm, I'm really going to miss <laughs> seeing him on the track.
1: Yeah, you're making that pretty clear.
0: <laughs> pretty clear. Well, we will be saying goodbye to him. We will definitely be seeing some exciting racing going into this weekend. Um, As always, Sprint GP is hosting a Twitter space Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I will be on there. Scott Robinson from Apex 146 will be there as well. We will be discussing further who to keep an eye on at Masano, especially as it'll be closer to the weekend. We'll be able to dig into the weather a little bit more and what that means for racing for this weekend. Um, So join us Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Twitter space, hosted by Sprint GP with Apex 146. You do have the ability to pass off the mic, so if you have any specific questions going into this weekend, please feel free to join us.
1: That sounds great, and speaking of Sprint GP, aside from the motorcycle racing, we have also just launched Open Wheel Racing, which is a very exciting new addition.
0: Yeah, so now you can own motorcycle racers, you can own Open Wheel Racers, they do not race together, but you can rack up points, stats, And build a whole portfolio of a race team on GP.
1: Yeah, you can own a race team that would never exist in real life.
0: Never exist. We're probably not all one day going to own Formula One teams or necessarily a motorcycle team. But hey, now you can on this platform. You can race with your friends. It's a really great supportive community filled with people that love racing, love data. If you have any questions about GP, the Twitter space on Thursday is another great space to
1: ask questions and learn more. As well as Discord.
0: Discord. Also Instagram. We're all over. So check it out. Let us know if you have any questions. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Racing to Win. We are counting down the days until the San Marino Grand Prix. So we'll see you next week. As always, thank you, Connor, for joining.
1: And thank you for having me.
0: All right, everyone. Take care.